Hey everyone, this is the Love of Cinema podcast. We like to talk movies. If you like to talk movies too, you come to the right place. With just Manjuratnam's direction, Kamal Hassan's acting and Ida Raja's background score, you would still have a very, very good film. But what makes the film elevates it into a cinematic realm is what uh, PC Shriram does. And that's a very, very bold series of formal choices. And I think that's what really smacked everyone like, wow, what is happening here? You know, Hey folks, this is Himanshu, and you're listening to the Love of Cinema podcast. Much excited about today's episode, where we'll be chatting about a film which has influenced some of my favorite storytellers and films. And delighted to have on the show someone who has authored a lovely book on the cinema of the man who made that film. But before that, if you're a first-time listener, do check out prior episodes of the podcast. You can find all episodes on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other pod apps. If you enjoy long-form, organic conversations centered around Indian cinema and streaming shows, Love of Cinema podcast was created for people just like you. So do consider subscribing. And please do rate and review the podcast in Apple Podcasts, as that will help others with similar taste discover this podcast. So if you liked the episode, Please rate and review us and help us spread the word. That would be much appreciated. Back to today's episode. In 1987, a promising director, a reigning film star, a legendary composer, an innovative cinematographer, and a brilliant production designer collaborated on a film which would become a landmark in Indian cinema. Now, it wasn't the first time that a terrific team of artists and technicians was working together on a film. But as we all know, a terrific team doesn't necessarily lead to a terrific film. In this case, as our guest puts it, there was a magical alchemy, which is far too rare. The film, of course, was Nikon. Personally, I'm fond of Nikon for several reasons. It's my favorite Maniratnam film. It also has, like I said before, influence some of my favorites, like Parinda, Satya, and Vasto. And Nikon also draws upon some of my favorite films, like Once Upon a Time in America, and of course, The Godfather. It was an absolute no-brainer when it came to reaching out to a person who would be a great guest for this episode. And I was much delighted when he accepted the invitation. Bharadwaj Rangan is a National Award-winning film critic and the author of Conversations with Mani Ratnam. The book's a terrific anthology of insightful chats with the director, covering his acclaimed body of work. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend this book. It's one of the essential books on Indian cinema, in my opinion. Bharadwaj and I chatted about the craft of Nikon, Mani Ratnam, the formalist filmmaker, Kamal Hassan's departure from Star Signature for the role of Velu, the dynamic between Velu's daughter and Velu, Raja's stunning background score, DOP PC Shriram's groundbreaking work in the film, our favorite moments from the film, and the film's legacy. Basically, all things Nikon. I also asked Rangan if we will ever get to see an out-and-out action film by Mani Ratnam, a genre which the director has confessed his love for on several occasions. All that and little more. So let's get right to it. Here's our chat. Hey, Bharadwaj, how are you? I'm good, Himanshu. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, and just quickly about where uh, the seed for this particular episode started. So about a uh, few weeks ago, I did a small poll on my Twitter handle about the Mani Ratnam flick that people would like to listen to a podcast on. 
Dilse won because uh, I guess uh, everything is heavily skewed towards uh, SRK on Twitter. <laughs> but sure. Nikon was a close second. And I don't know why, but I thought, you know, I should go with Nikon because that's my favorite film. And I've read your book and there are a lot of things in the book which I wanted to talk with you about. So I decided, okay, let me try and reach out to Bharadwaj and let's see if he wants to do this on Nikon. <laughs> so that's where, uh, that's how this uh, episode started. So before we get down to the actual questions, I just wanted to quickly start our chat with a quick anecdote about Nikon. And I think it might help uh, lend a window to the wide impact the films had on, um, for especially younger uh, listeners, you know, who might not have seen Nikon or who probably have only seen it once. So a few years ago, uh, I heard Sanjay Gupta share an interesting anecdote about Nikon, the filmmaker Sanjay Gupta. Right. Uh, in 1989, uh, Rajan Sipi was making a film called Mahadev with Vinod Khanna. Sanjay Gupta was an AD on the film. And one of his jobs as an AD was to go get Vinod Khanna from his hotel room when the shot was ready. Uh, whenever he used to go to Vinod Khanna's room, he used to find Vinod Khanna watching a film on VHS in his hotel room. Now, uh, Vinod Khanna used to ask him to wait until the scene was over in the film that he was watching. And then they used to go in his car to wherever they were shooting. So Sanjay Gupta, too, used to catch a few glimpses of that film. Gupta found that film um, hypnotic and asked Vinod Khanna about it. And Vinod Khanna told him that it's a film which he and Feroz Khan will be remaking soon. After a few days, Sanjay Gupta took the VHS tape from Vinod Khanna and sat down to watch the film in its entirety this time in his hotel room. And he was blown away by the film and he ended up watching it twice, back to back, without subtitles and probably on a, you know, a crappy uh, print. Yeah. That film, of course, was Nikon. Uh, Gupta said that no other film has had the kind of impact on this um, cinema like Nikon has. And I like this story a lot because uh, Sanjay Gupta's style and his style of cinema is pulls apart from that of Mani Ratnam's. But yeah, what yeah. this little story shows is the sort of wide, wide impact Nikon's had on films and filmmakers of all stripes uh, since then. Yeah, and, and that's a that's a great anecdote because, uh, like to expand on what you said, Dayavan did happen a few years later uh, uh, with the with the Feroz Khan directing and with Vinod Khanna in the title role. And uh, uh, you know, thinking back, it's such a bad idea simply because the whole <laughs> point the whole point of Nayakan is that there is this man who is an outsider who makes it into a city where he does not know anybody, he does not know the language, and he sticks to his own people and becomes a kind of a don who challenges even the insiders. That is the the uh, the, the kind of the, the crux. Whereas by casting uh, Vinod Khanna, who's known as a Bombay actor, in a, uh, in a film based in Bombay, you, you can't just, like, like, you know, put a like a dhoti on somebody and suddenly call him a South Indian. You know, there has to be a certain, <laughs> uh, like like a, like an acceptance of, of a certain, because for Bombay audiences, they're practically seeing, uh, for them, it'll be like seeing Vinod Khanna, like, like in one of the other roles, put on like a gray hair or a fake moisture, something like that, you know, just something that is a cosmetic thing, where it's not an internal thing, it's just a cosmetic change. Uh, right. So I, I always felt that, you know, like and, and Maniratham has said this in the book that the, he said that maybe because you're already in Bombay, maybe you should go and, you know, set your story somewhere in London or something so that, you know, you can again do that same arc of, uh, you know, an, an, an insider going to uh, South Hall or something and, uh, you know, be, be a, get becoming the savior of the Desi community or something like that. Uh, but I guess, I don't know, they were just insistent on making the movie, in, which always brings me to this very big question about, you know, sometimes people make movies because these movies either get critical acclaim or commercial success or both, but they they don't figure out what the essence of the film is. Mm. And I think that's where Dayavan kind of went wrong, because you can have the same plot and and everything but there's something that works beyond there's something called milieu there's something called relatability uh you know because the average tamilian sees uh nayakan and is completely able to understand uh, uh 
the the plight of this protagonist because uh, Tamil Nadu is not a place that is re- like too widely known for its understanding of Hindi. So when you know any any place up north is going to be a pretty strange land uh, for any Tamilian, uh, you know, because and and that, so that's a very identifiable uh, milieu for a, for a, for a viewer, the general audience. Uh, so I don't know what they did in the Hindi version, but you know it didn't come out well and it bombed. And you know <laughs> what happened? Actually, I don't think any of uh, Maniratnam's films have done well in Hindi except Sathya. Maybe I'm not sure. But let's wind back the clock a bit now because I really want to ask you about this and go back to the time just before Naikan was released. So this right. is 1987. Uh, Maniratnam has already broke out the prior year with uh, Mona Ragam which was yeah. critical acclaim as well as a commercial success. Correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, Kamal was already a big star, right? Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us about that time in Tamil cinema in terms of the kind of films which were being made, the kind of films which were popular at that time? And also how big of a star was Kamal pre-Naikan? See, Kamal became a huge, huge star in about in the 80-81 phase. Uh, and he really became... A sort of pan-Indian star because around 1881 he had a huge Tamil blockbuster called Sakalakala Vallavan and he had a huge Hindi blockbuster in 81 with uh, Ek Duje Ke Liye, which is like, uh, you know, it was like a double whammy almost at that time. It's like very rare for South Indian heroes to go north. South Indian heroines have always gone uh, and, and prospered in Bombay. Like, you know, you have a whole number of them. You have Sri Devi, you have Vajanti Mala, you have Hema Malini, you have a number of uh, examples like that, Rekha. Uh, but heroes, it, it typically doesn't work. So for somebody to go, so he was really, really very hot at that point. Uh, of course, like any hero, he had his ups and downs and, you know, not every film did well. Uh, but I think around that time, what was also happening was that he was trying to uh, kind of uh, look like regain his mojo uh, because he had acted in a number of commercial films. And the, the ratio of these mainstream commercial films, which are very necessary if you're a star, uh, to the kind of little personal intimate projects, uh, you know, where you might want to explore the actorly side of you, that the ratio was getting skewed towards the commercial side. So I think I think this came at the right moment. Uh, but I don't think uh, he was prepared for uh, what the film finally became. I don't think Maniratham himself was prepared for what, because this is one of those... Hmm. Uh, very rare coming together of somebody at the peak of every like Pillai Raja is the, the the biggest musician there. Kamal is the best actor there. Maniratnam is happening. Right. Siram is there, the cinematographer. Tota Tani. So I'm saying uh, is the is the is a production designer. So I'm saying that even if all of these people are not uh, like you know, a PC was not yet the PC Siram. You know that's what I'm saying. So but at the same time, they all somehow got together and there was this magical alchemy that elevated each other's work, you know, and uh, produced that. And, uh, you know, I always tell people today that, you know, don't see Nayakan on on one of those YouTube prints because that is not the way it is. The contrasts are gone. These are faded, faded, uh, you know, uh, videotape prints or whatever it is. So, yeah, so that that was the general milieu in which uh, it appeared. And, and Maunanagam was, yes, a... Uh, a, a, a kind of a, a, a critical success and a, a, I would say a modest commercial hit because it did well in the in the so-called A centers, uh, the bigger cities. Uh, I don't think it really went deep into the, uh, you know, into the interiors because it was a, you know, without it was a it was a kind of an what one would call an upmarket film about. Uh, uh, you know, a, a woman facing this problem, you know, accepting a husband, things like that. And and it's not usually like anywhere else in India, the things that do well are hero-centric, uh, uh, you know, action films or whatever it is. You know, that that that's the kind of stuff that do well. So he'd found, but the but the thing with Manoragam is Maniratnam found his voice after a series of films, and he found his confidence uh, to do the thing that he wanted to do. And then Nayakan happened with, and because he got the actor that that was a dream for any director, uh, he I think that really skyrocketed 
both of them, yeah. And coming back to what you said was the crux of uh, Nikon. And uh, Maniratnam made a string of films where the seed premise of the film is, uh, like you said, that of an outsider landing in a new city, a new place. Yeah. Uh, you could argue Roja is essentially that. Bombay is same. Uh, they could fall in that. Maunaragam, right. Uh, yeah. But do you think that really it kind of the peak of that uh, was Nikon because, uh, or rather, uh, not the peak, but it's it's perhaps the epitome of that particular, like the seed premise. Yeah, because everywhere else you have people coming and dealing with their situations, uh, but here you have a person actually rising and becoming some kind of a Superman. You know, like uh, it's based on the story of a real life Dharavi don called Varadaraja Mudaliyar, uh, right. and uh, Maniratnam when he was studying in Bombay. Uh, he kind of, uh, he did it M- his MBA in Bombay. And when he did that, Vardaraja Mudlar was one of those people that he said he was fascinated by because, you know, he's this guy who's on the surface doing all these horrible, illegal things. Uh, yet the people of Dharavi love him and they worship him like a god. I mean, and, and that contrast, he said, really intrigued him. Uh, you know, uh, you know, he's this man with the spotless white dhoti and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, he had this very... He seemed to be a religious person and yet he seemed to be very comfortable with ordering kills and things like that. So that whole contrast was very uh, 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 kind of uh, interesting for him, I guess. And so he had that core in mind and then he fictionalized that, that subject. And, uh, and you know, like, and I think every, uh, like, a, like every, uh, you know, like, like gangster movie kind of goes back to the Godfather and his predecessors. So there was a bit of that as well. So I think, you know, when, when, I think he was really, really got got a mix of the 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 outsider angle, the you know the the gangster angle. Everything just kind of fell in place. Yeah. Uh, in one of your pieces, uh, you wrote about Nikon, and I quote: uh, "Tamil cinema had never seen such pure filmmaking earlier, where every aspect of the cinema was a designed and b exploited to the fullest." Uh, let's talk about the craft of Nikon. Um, there are multiple shots which are filmed. Um, through doorways or framed likewise. Um, The lighting of the uh, uh, picture is just uh, extraordinary because, uh, you know, it's a very certain type of uh, lighting. I don't know how to put it in words, but it's against a CPR tone and it kind of heightens the drama. Also, the realism in the action was something new. Um, You know, one of my favorite scenes, and we'll talk about our favorite scenes in a minute, but uh, just to, uh, as an example of the realism, when Velu smashes the glass bottle on the cop's head, he hurts yeah. his hand because of the glass splinters. Mm. And right after that, when Velu is chasing the same cop through the slums, at one point, he almost loses his balance and falls in the sewer. You know, again, adding a small, fantastic, realist touch to the whole action set piece, which was uh, fairly new to at least uh, for uh, a viewer of Hindi films. Um, yeah. You know, which scenes would you pick to highlight the film's uh, craft? Well, in terms of sheer craft, I think the whole film, because see, one thing that I always keep uh, telling people is that Maniratnam is not a uh, a quote-unquote realistic filmmaker. Uh, he's a formalist. So for him, uh, you know, every everything in the uh, in the in the in the cinema book is a tool to tell the story. So one thing, one thing that Nayakan really, really did is to exploit things like Hiroshiro and things like that. So what I'm trying to say is that, see, before then we had filmmakers for whom naturalism was everything because they came from FTII and they right. came from the whole uh, Charulata, uh, you know, like like trying to be as unobtrusive as possible. Whereas right. Nayakan is is the exact opposite of that because people are. They're, they're literally, you know, you could say that they didn't have the freedom to move in certain scenes because the lighting would be on top of them. And if they moved even one centimeter, the lighting would be off. Yeah, so the, the, there's this top lighting. There is this these shafts of light going stuff. Where, so everywhere there is a, what I mean by that, I, I'm not saying it's artificial. That's a different word altogether. What I'm saying is that more than realism, it's the creation of a certain kind of uh, stylistic mood. And that's why I say it's formalism, because uh, for a while, that is what Maniratna was exploring with PC Shiram was to kind of these very, very high contrast kind of uh, uh, light versus dark, which is happening in there. 
and then when the grading is happening in which uh, you know you're kind of uh, exposing the 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 film a bit before using before using it so there's the kind of a, a, a not an like a like an artificial sepia tone but a, almost a very natural looking silvery sepia tone you know so uh, there was so much of that 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 to have pulled off at a time when uh, there were no monitors uh, then you know you couldn't see what you were filming you just sent your 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 reels to the lab and pray that you know it came back uh, uh you know okay the next day and to complete a whole film this way i, I think it's it, at a day, time when there was no digital grading and things like that i think it's it's just <laughs> miraculous of course you know there have been films that have done this you know you have so many david lean films or couple of right. or whatever right. i think alfred did that for a uh, long goodbye too right i think they did double exposing yeah. of the film yeah yeah they did that, all that so so i think i think uh, but basically for an indian film all this was new which is why i think uh i think i think that effect was felt by so many people because you know there was usually that we saw indian films for like to feel good to laugh for content you know to do all these things but for really for craft we kind of looked towards hollywood because there was that that thing that oh you know what you know we would say things like yeah hollywood is hollywood you know only they can make this kind of stuff you know that that kind of a thing now for the first time in tamil cinema at least you got this person who was making this this rich film this rich looking film that apart from its emotional content now my thing is that with just maniratnam's direction kamal hasan's acting and ida raja's background score you would still have a very very good film but what makes the film elevates it into a cinematic realm is what uh, pc shriram does and that's a very very bold series of formal choices and i think that's what really smacked everyone like wow what is happening here you know because everything like like you know before old age makeup just meant uh uh you know like somebody wearing gray hair because you look at uh, kamal's <laughs> own uh, uh, you know uh, kamal's own swati mutyam from uh, 83 84 you see that's what he's doing i mean it's a good film but i'm saying that these externals were not that uh, taken care of that much right whereas here when if you saw a still from the early part of the film and you saw him later he's his paunch he's walking with his legs apart he's got a bald spot his cheeks are padded with cotton there is a you actually see the aging you see him young you see him middle aged you see him old you know and these are things that that never uh, like like a uh, kind of a uh, uh, you know can and the realism extended to uh you know there's a holy sequence in the film uh where you have uh, you know kamal is known as a like a very good dancer he's learned dance he's a classically trained dancer but when you see him in that song he he's going he's going to be dancing like somebody who doesn't know how to dance because he this character is not a dancer so you're transcending the star signature and going into the character and how he would behave and all and these would seem you know i think for a western listener maybe these would be seem very obvious things but for us in our mode of filmmaking because it's always been uh you know based on let's say uh the star system like you know and it's at the star system everywhere like you know cary grant played a version of cary grant in every film it's not he never did any kind of method acting or something and that's why we love cary grant because he's cary grant in every single film uh you know and uh you know i would say the same thing about uh, audrey hepburn as well you know i i never saw a film in which she transcended her inherent audrey hepburnness and became somebody else you know she is not that kind of a, of of an actor who, you know that you claim would could be a chameleon and do all these other things but for indian uh uh you know but a lot of indian cinema was based on this star signature and to have suddenly a star broken out of that and doing all these things and and a star in his um in his 30s you know when when you when you could still be romancing and doing all these other things uh, i think that uh, the, it was a series of what that film meant in in the milieu of tamil cinema what it meant in terms of this particular directors technology uh, acting everything i think it's that's why i'm saying it's like it's like uh, you know two date people just keep talking about that film because it's just one of those uh films that comes along in a very very like like a blue moon kind of thing right right 
And it's interesting how you said that Maniratnam is not a realist. And um, I, I wanted to talk about a few of my favorite uh, scenes from the film. And this uh, rings true what you just said about that. Uh, because they're just so well crafted. I mean, uh, at a symbolic level, at, uh, you know, um, in terms of foreshadowing. So uh, I'll just quickly rattle off uh, some of my favorite moments. And I would love to hear your takes on them. But the first couple of scenes are between uh, Velu and um, Surya. And, yeah. Uh, the very first scene and the very last scene, I always found that interesting between these two, uh, because it's a very interesting juxtapositional play, you know, so to speak. The first scene uh, between the two has the young Surya looking down from the window at his father, who's feeding the pigeons in the courtyard. And yeah. the last scene between the two has Velu looking down from the same window at the dead body of his son rested on the ground yeah. in the yeah. courtyard yeah. among the pigeons. And yeah. it's uh, it's such a lovely uh, symbolism, uh, I thought, because it's essentially, you know, uh, Surya, uh, maybe inadvertently, maybe because of his own design, kind of somehow reached the same place where Velu had tried not to put him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that that's very much like The Godfather too, uh, but uh, it's so nicely done. And yeah. then there is another lovely scene between Surya and Velu where uh, Velu offers Surya a pan from his pan box as a token gesture after being convinced of his um, chops. And yeah. Surya takes it and as a mark of respect for his father, turns away from Velu before yeah, putting was... the pan inside his mouth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, and you see the sh shyness in him, uh, but you also see that scene then pans to the door where the daughter is standing. And then you also see yeah. that that has not gone well with her. So again, you're seeing something accomplished purely through a camera move. You know, you're not seeing uh, uh, a, a, like a dialogue or something like that. You're, you're just seeing one one very clean camera move happening, covering all the stuff. So, but my absolute favorite scene, Bardwaj, is uh, the one where Velu loses his wife. Uh, the scene where he loses his wife after she falls down from the window. Yeah, yeah. He tries to hold on to her, but she slips and he's left uh, holding her sari. Yeah. The kids run to him to see what happened to their mother. He grabs them, kind of tries to cover their eyes in order to prevent them from seeing the horrific sight down below where the mother is probably lying dead, probably in a pool of blood. But in holding the kids, he loses his um, grip on the sari. And that too falls yeah. down from the window. And I yeah, like that yeah. scene a lot. Uh, as it is such a terrific foreshadowing of the things to come, where Velu is slowly going to lose everything he loves. He's going to lose his son to death. He's going to lose his daughter to alienation. He's also yeah. going to lose, eventually, his own life. And, of course, Kamal, you know, elevates the whole scene to another level with his craft. Yeah, that, that, that's... I could name, like, like, uh, like a hundred other scenes, for example, <laughs> yeah. the first scene, uh, where, uh, like, uh, for me, one of my favorite scenes is... Uh, is when Velu goes to uh, and meets his wife for the first time in the mm. brothel. Uh, you know, I, I love that scene simply because here's a girl who has, uh, uh, you know, uh, like, like uh, she's studying for her exams, uh, but she's also like a, a, this one, uh, in school, and she's also like a sex worker. So uh, for a man to come there and kind of say, okay, just just go ahead, study. And she says, you know, uh, can you just let me off a little early because I have an exam tomorrow? He's like, okay, just study. And she studies and that becomes the basis of their relationship because, you know, again, you're, you're seeing him. He knows what it is like to want something and be an outsider and not fit in. And he clearly sees that she's an outsider in that milieu. That's a great scene. Yeah. And um, yeah. you know, that's a great segue to the next um, topic that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, the influences that Nikon's had on so many films, especially some of my favorites like Parinda, Satya, Vastav. And uh, then we'll also talk about um, the influences on Nikon. Of course, Godfather is there. But uh, just some of the out and out direct hat tips, uh, which I found um, that Nikon has influenced is the opening scene of Satya at CST is uh, where Satya is arriving in Mumbai is straight out of, you know, young Velu arriving at Mumbai, again shot at CST. Uh, the scene from Vasta where uh, Raghu and Dead Futia visit the brothel for the first time, again, a straight hat tip to the scene from Nikon where uh, Velu and Selva visit the brothel. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Nikon was influenced by The Godfather and there are also hat tips to Sergio Leone. On at yeah, least a couple of occasions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. 
once upon a time in america yes yes yeah. the salt yeah. bags attached to the smuggled uh, yeah. goods hearts yeah. back uh, yeah. to once upon a time in america and like you mentioned in your book at the very end when velu falls down after being shot dead we see a fly on his arm uh, again a nice little detail that's a nod to leoni uh, but coming back to the godfather analogy uh, i wanted to ask you about an interesting contrast uh, between the elimination of the rival sequence from both films so in the yeah. godfather it is intercut with the baptism of uh, connie's baby right yeah and in nikon it is intercut with the last rites of uh, velu's uh, wife yeah i found it rather interesting uh, uh, what do you make of it okay so first i i, I think it's uh, it's a you know it's it's a great scene in both the things because uh, in both the films uh, but i in one you're kind of uh, it, it plays out like the i think the the counterpoint in godfather is much more powerful because uh, you know here you are doing something sacred it's the sacred versus the profane it's like you're doing something very sacred something in a church uh, you know the, the the priest asked him do you renounce satan michael corleone and he said yes and at that very moment you know he's his his uh, underlings are carrying out all these satanic deeds so i think the irony is much more pronounced whereas in nayakan you, you you know it comes comes out more like an act of revenge because you killed my wife now i'm going to uh, you know you know uh, 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 kill all these people so i think there is a and i think that's why nayakan maybe speaks a, very directly to us because in a, as an audience as an indian audience i think we respond more to a uh, personal vengeance rather than something more abstract like uh, the killing of the five families you know right that has a certain context to it and uh, that yeah. that's a different yeah. right that's a different thing and i and i and i really think that because of uh, they've linked the murders and things like that uh, i think you know the personal vengeance aspect of it uh, makes it very uh, very very uh, thing because i think it's very important to know see through one one commonality between godfather and nayakan and a lot of gangster epics actually is that is that the real bad side of these people is kind of soft peddled right 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 so the sense that you you know that don corleone did a series of atrocious things illegal things and completely you know something that that should never be uh, you know like like we we don't even want to find him in an enemy let alone a protagonist we're supposed to empathize with but you look at it and you always see that okay if he kills someone it's because he wanted a place in this place or if you something else happened there's always the because there's always something that explains he's not a psychopath you know he's always explained away similarly here the reason michael's doing it to entrench his uh, or rather to kind of establish his business and kind of wipe out the rivals further his powers right further his powers which is again that's what i'm saying it's 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 fantastic but it's also for an indian audience i think a let, little less personal little more abstract whereas here velu is doing it because it's not because he wants to expand his business or whatever it is it's like i've had enough you kill my wife now you guys are dead and i think that linking of the godfather figure himself to these deaths is is kind of crucial which is not there in the godfather at all because in the godfather is a michael who carries out these other things the godfather himself is comes across like a very benevolent patriarch but i think that's why uh, this 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 revenge uh, makes it very personal a and two it it kind of you know it's one of the rare instances where we see him performing uh like these flagrantly illegal deeds that will come to haunt him later and uh, another see that's why you know in with indian filmmaking this is what is so fascinating because i would love love for somebody uh to to put aside these films and and juxtapose them and contrast them because uh even at the end there is a certain a uh, morality that comes into play by means of the daughter who's chosen to marry a cop 
for the simple right. reason that you know she was born in this family and she wanted to ensure that at least the succeeding generation would have the the you know the would be born of a of somebody on that side of the law rather than this side of the law so you know there is this whole moral factor playing as well throughout the thing though we ourselves don't expect that moral factor because for us velunaikan has done all these things because he was oppressed because they didn't let him rise because they didn't do this because they didn't do that. so that's enough for us right we don't need this this other thing but the film doesn't let him get away with it the film places a moral judgment on him and says listen you may claim that you did all these things to uh you know just to save your life because you didn't have any food you didn't have anything you all these powerful men uh which the godfather calls the pezzinovanti all these people have kind of uh, the establishment have kind of got the claws into you and so you know you really the only way think that you can do is kind of take the the illegal way out but the film does does not let uh, kamal get uh, velu get away with it because it's like i'm sorry but you did all these things but there is still a moral authority that you got to answer for right and there is a price to be paid yeah right what uh, that's interesting what you said about the daughter uh, that's also a very interesting part of the uh, script i thought that you know where she has this uh, sort of a quote unquote um, bad blood complex you know where she feels like she has to marry someone like you said on the other side of the law to absolve herself of the sins of the family that she comes from especially her father you know i i find that a little bit problematic at one level but i i totally see that how that plays into the story what's what's your take on it well um first tell me why you find it problematic so that might help me like yeah, sure know. so uh, so uh, uh, the the piece which i find problematic is the piece where uh the daughter has to kind of um you know put herself over the line to the other side of the law like you said in order to wash her sins away and i just find that the the whole thought behind that a little problematic and uh, you know i might be in the minority but i just thought that that was a little concerning but i do see i mean how that plays into the story and it plays into the story beautifully because even at the end we see that it, the, the husband doesn't know this and he also finds out and you know then obviously goes and raids um his um, uh house uh, yeah, but yeah. i just found that a little bit uh, problematic you know what i mean no, for me this is not problematic because it's not that she doesn't love her father it's it's just that she cannot deal with it anymore because even later she calls him to inform him that uh you know that that such and such a thing is going to be happening uh you know this raid is going to be happening and that's when uh he says this is where your husband can find me uh so she is trying to warn him so for, for my my take is simply that she's she's not stopped loving her father it's just that uh she has suffered too much in that house and she's kind of seen her brother die uh, she's kind of seen her him take uh, her mother die it's been a thing and, and if you if you remember uh, the uh after the mother's death when they are on the train and uh, the 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 step sister kind of person shakila is taking them away to chennai uh the it's the girl who asks her father saying uh, uh that uh, they're all saying that you're responsible for amma's uh, death yes, uh, is yes. that right the boy is not asking that question it's the girl who's asking the question she is the one who's like so she's always that's playing on her mind you know it's like even though she comes back later she has fun she you know goes for those uh you know beach uh, you know she goes on the beach and uh, beach rides and things like that she has fun she does all those things but at the end of the day when she comes back and she thinks that's all gone and she still finds her father's associate killing somebody as she's stepping outside an art gallery she kind of you know she's reminded of the fact that that this is the kind of thing so she asks that that famous question in the courtyard which happens when she says what gives you the right, right. to uh, kill all these people and then you know and that's his justification but she doesn't buy it she's right. like you know suffered we were hungry we had to kill or be killed she's like that all that's fine you know that's gone now now you're this thing why do you uh, have to continue doing that and i think that's that's like uh, you know that kind of tells us what her character is she doesn't hate her father but she cannot stand to be in that 
milieu anymore and there's there's this very twisted thing in her that that goes on like like uh, uh you know say that if i marry somebody uh from the other side of the law then at least i think the exact line is that like, at least the future generation will kind of you know take care of itself so that's kind of uh, what what her thing is right 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 it, it it was that piece that i was talking about you know where she thinks that essentially she is going to be washing away uh, whatever her father has been uh, has been doing from the no, future no, no. generations so, that no she is not she is not absolving her father she is saying that at least for the sake of my children and the future generations i don't want the taint of your blood in that so it's not like she's forgiving her father it's it's more like you know what is the ex- the opposite of a of a robber a thief a gangster a, a cop so uh, uh she's kind of gone to that side and uh, you know gone and married him so uh, you know there are times that i feel that that whole you know these are such fascinating rich characters that i all that you want you want to see now that we know that you know like a mini series or something where everybody gets yeah oh my god you know, how cool would that yeah where you see how she met her a uh, husband and you know the kind of initial conversations that she the had where yeah. the back story because he doesn't know that she's this person because she told them that she's an orphan and uh, you know those would have been really cool but but then again look at it you know all of this is conveyed in the movie with such economy so and how can we not talk about uh, raja's brilliant score uh, for night and um, the percussion in the background for the smuggling scenes at the sea uh, my goodness uh, the kind of tension that they raise uh, oh the God, signature it's the, uh, mix it's the it's the it's the whole uh, you know it's like uh, that's what i said right with just maniratnam and kamal hasan and ile raja alone you could have had a damn good movie you know that 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 kind of uh, because ilaraja is the the score is so legendary it's not funny but i'm saying that this is one of those really legendary scores that deserves to be legendary you know it's Absolutely. so amazing yeah yeah, uh, yeah and his themes for each one of them he really takes you into and i think i think the the one thing the that that idea that maniratnam had was great was which is to have this one song that would encapsulate uh, velu's life and then be repeated at key moments i think that's that's a really really nice idea because uh, you know it kind of became becomes a, a refrain through which we understand what state of life he is at that point and right. i think that's so a great uh, uh, you know like like so it's just that's what i'm saying so each person was prodding each other inspiring each other to like like you know uh, i can just imagine uh, ilaraja's uh, you know when he saw the footage that was offered before him because you know this is the man who's done magnificent scores for the worst of films right so when <laughs> when you you get a movie like this and you know like you just kind of i guess you know you just get into a higher gear than usual i'm i'm just guessing because uh it's it's so uh it's that the combination is so rare because even after nayagan uh you have so many instances of uh of of the various people coming together for uh like like uh, you know where various people at the top of their fields coming together kind of thing but for sure uh you know that that kind of emotional impact and for something that people are still talking about some 30 years from now from the release date uh i don't think there's there have been too many films like that true true i i think the uh, and also the background score the music uh, definitely the songs but the background score is just uh, one of the aces uh, that the film holds so, so you cannot even like like right now i can't even imagine uh, you know that scene where uh, where where velu meets his future wife that entire scene the way it's scored uh you know the way it falls it's 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 absolutely one of the and it's the theme music of the film yes and, yes This is uh, his uh, wife's uh, introductory scene, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's it's just I'm just thinking about it. it gives me goosebumps. It's it's just one of those most amazing scores that uh, Raja's done, and that's what I'm saying. See, he's a man who regularly churns out great scores for like uh yeah uh, uh kind of uh, what do you say? uh the, the 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 most generic of films right, right? of it's, the mill movies you know, yeah kind of says okay let me see it's almost like he puts on a thinking cap and says okay let me see how i can <laughs> save this movie from itself you know that's kind of <laughs> let's try to achieve something 
so when you get uh, like the, no, which which is not to say that he's he's worked earlier with Balu Mahendra, with Bal Bharti Raja, with with uh, Mahendra, and so he's worked with with good directors before. But this kind of you know it was such such a new thing then that uh, you know with the with the lighting and the cinematography and the production design, the authenticity, everything, and uh, you know it just became this this I guess this this benchmark for what an all round good movie should be. Finally, Bharadwaj, um, Naikan is a bona fide classic, like we just talked about it. Uh, but it did come at a price, and the price was of never getting to watch an urban slick action thriller directed by Maniratnam and starring Kamal Hassan. Yeah. And <laughs> and for those who don't know, what I'm referring to is that Maniratnam wanted to work with Kamal Hassan, and he either wanted to make an urban action thriller along the lines of Beverly Hills Cop or Dirty Harry. Or the story of an underworld dawn, and Kamal happened to pick the latter, and rest is history. But was that a price worth it? I definitely think so because uh, <laughs> I do feel like uh, uh, like I do feel that that you know there is still something that uh, the action genre in India is not especially uh, something that's really broken through. It's only now with films like War. Uh, that you're really seeing people spending big money on uh, big, you know, really see because action sequences they're they are almost like they're their own kind of song. It's not just you know punching people. It's like you know the, the the cinematographer has to capture the right angle. The editor has to edit it in just the right way. The the stunt choreographer has to do all these moves that uh, you know it it could be the millionth bike chase you're seeing but the action choreographer has to figure out a way to do something that will make this bike chase better than all the bike chases you've seen earlier so there's definitely that that element of 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 action in indian cinema that that hasn't really broken through uh, it's only of late like in pictures like war that we're seeing like yeah, and, I, and, I, and i and i think if i'm not mistaken that even in those films the action is good because the action choreographers are hired from hollywood or europe is what i what I, what i think uh so yeah it would have been very interesting to see what would happen would have happened if if the the two of them had had gotten together for that project but i really do not think uh you know that that i don't think that i don't think that's a price at all i just think it's a no brainer if i were asked to choose hypothetically between that and this I would any day go with Nayakan because I'm also one of those people that saw it on the big screen. And uh, oh wow, it, it, I envy you. Yeah, it it's really you know you you cannot imagine being in Chennai at that time, exposed to the regular Tamil cinema of the time or the regular Hindi cinema of the time, and see something like this. I mean, it was just something else. You, I, it was like literally like. Like people just went silent, you know. There was not none of those hoots, whistles, this, that. It was like one pin drop silence kind of atmosphere, you know. You just kind of went there, not knowing what to expect. All that we knew was there was this 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 guy who made Maunaragam was coming together with Kamal Hassan, and uh, you know they were doing this period film. This is pretty much the broad. Uh, you know, thing that no nobody knew because unlike the other earlier directors, we didn't know like Maniratnam what what were like like you know the other earlier directors because they had a history behind them. We knew oh it's this director, so it's going to be this kind of thing. You know that's not there with this guy yet. So uh, to kind of have that uh, was was just mind blowing. It was it was like uh, just to see the the, <laughs> the contrast and the thing because I remember this because. Uh, I had forgotten what it looked like, uh, and uh, I was, you know, I I was seeing these usual crap prints on 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 YouTube, right? Uh, then what happened is in Delhi, uh, sometime in uh, uh, the uh, earlier part of this decade, they organized a screening of Nayakan, and they invited me to do a, a moderation kind of thing. And for that, they asked if I could get a like a print from Maniratnam's office and it just happened that at that point they had made a transfer from the original negative oh wow 
So I got to see that same print again on the big screen many, many years after I first saw it during its release. So, uh, and it was absolutely mind-blowingly fantastic. It was like, you know, the the point of being a, uh, see, I'll tell you one way, it's easier being a, okay, this, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but when you're a formalist filmmaker, the tools the, the, the quality of the theater matters. The quality of the sound equipment matters. The quality of the projector Absolutely. matters. You know? Yes. yes. Which, 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 which will not be as, like, let's say you're one of those guys who likes to capture nature as is, right? Uh, I'm sure there will be a loss in some of the quality, but you won't feel the effect that much uh, if you see a slightly degraded print because, you know, there is still, a, because you're shooting in natural light, but when you have this very, very controlled light, when you have this very, very, sharply created contrast and things like that uh you you just like lose it if the theater's uh the projection or the picture quality you like it's almost like like 40 percent of the power of the film is lost right the exhibition makes a huge difference in terms of your experience of uh, yeah. uh, the film that, that, because that's why you know when uh uh you know i i almost expect some people to kind of come up to me and say you know what, I don't understand what the big fuss about this film is. Yeah, this guy's a gangster, but then, you know, think, but, you know, but that's what it was. It was like seeing it like then. And I wish that 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 at some point, uh, you know, these formalist filmmakers like Maniratnam, at some point, they just, you know, put out DVDs of all their work uh, from the negatives, because I, that's not a problem from when they started shooting in digital. Uh, but I'm talking about from when they were shooting on film. Uh, that's kind of a, because uh, India being the humid place that it is, you know, degradation happens by the minute. Right, and, right. And, uh, uh, you know, I just, I just, I just hope that, that at least some of these prints survive and, and uh, these, and that uh, good negatives can come of them so that people can see what happened because it's definitely a part of, uh, an important part of Tamil film history. Right. Now, as uh, things stand right now, uh, Bharatwaj, what's the best uh, destination or what's the best uh, physical media edition of Nikon that uh, people can seek out? Uh, I don't know. I suppose go to his office and ask them if they have. <laughs> have <laughs> That's not going to be possible for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I I let me uh, uh, because know, let I me thought uh, there is a print on uh, Amazon, but even that, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's um, I I uh, I wouldn't call it a respectable print. Yeah, it's not because that's what I'm saying. So those guys in Delhi have it, and uh, I have one copy, and then uh, 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 I guess uh, Madras Talkies has the thing. I don't know when they're going to release it, but that would be really great if they do. So. You you have an actual uh, like uh, a physical uh, copy? Yeah, yeah, because they, they give two two copies for the oh, Delhi wow. thing. Like That's in wonderful. case in case one you know something happened to one, then you have the other one. Right. Uh, right. Them worked, so then I asked them, "Can I keep the other thing?" And said, "Fine, just keep it." <laughs> so I have it with me. Awesome! 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 <laughs> You're a lucky guy. So All right. My- uh- that's my retirement fund, you know. <laughs> so I'm just like, <laughs> come on, you cannot say that. But hey, are you <laughs> that's just not the right thing to say. Yeah, you know, if 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 it's no, like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, if it's like, uh, if COVID lets us, you know, out of the house sometimes, it would be kind of nice. But I do want to have a screening with this at least locally at some point, so that people know what the thing is like. So. Right, right. Maniratnam in action. Uh, you know, one of the things that he has said in uh, many of his interviews is that, you know, he has always been a fan of action and he's always wanted to make like an out and out action film. And uh, obviously, you know, he has made, um, you know, uh, films like Thiruda, Thiruda and CCV and um, even Nikon and uh, many others. But uh, uh, do you think we'll ever get to see like an out and out action uh, uh, movie by Maniratnam? I don't know because I don't know if, if uh, it, it's it's actually, I, I mean, I'm sure he's interested. And uh, I, I, one of the things I want him to do is uh, explore different genres like thrillers or whatever it is, because, uh, you know, he, he, he uh, you know, even if uh, CCV has action or something, there's always some kind of uh, 
uh like uh, he 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 likes going into the dramatic elements of it yes, you know, it's, it's an action that. drama right it's an action drama so uh i would love for him to see like to do a pure action film where literally it's one of those you know there's a spy organization somebody has to infiltrate it something 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 you know one of those kinds of things where uh you know the the constant the 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 it's it's more of a but but you know come to think of it i'm not able to except maybe the bond films or things like that almost everything else is an action drama because if you look at the mission impossible films for instance there's a very strong teamwork kind of thing you know there's like a and you really feel that that familial bond that these people have with each other uh, you know and and i think i think uh, when you look at the pure action film uh, i guess something like like the bond movies would be great fun to see but again i think the biggest constraint for that kind of thing is the availability of uh, of direct of action choreographers with that kind of imagination and i think that is a real problem in india i th- i don't think we have that caliber of action choreographers here right right but we can always get uh, you know somebody from outside right i mean like they did with yeah, war or like like they did in uh, or the other film the hindi films of late i think fan also had some spectacular action sequences and i think again those were done by uh, a foreign uh, like a like a somebody from hollywood because you had the it was not just complicated in terms of the action but it's also because you were shooting two shahrukh khans at the same time you know Right, right. So there was some, there was an additional level of complexity uh, in that, and I thought some of it was pulled off remarkably well. Uh, especially one where, you know, there were is that the movie where there's that scene where the side of the building where they're hanging on uh, by the windows and things like that. That right. Uh, right. I mean, that, those are some spectacularly done things, and that's what I'm saying. It's like action is not just you know two people at each other. This it's it's a mood. It's it's all these other things, and I I really want to see. uh maniratnam try his hand at something like that yeah yeah because it does uh, seem like from his interviews that he at least he grew up you know loving those films like uh, yeah. you know don siegel's films or maybe later on tony scott or those kind yeah. of films and like you said even now in hollywood i mean those are a very rarity i think that kind of action film is more now um, a forte of um, asian cinema i guess koreans and japanese uh, make those kind of films yeah, more often Uh, you know full of green screens and and mm. you know so you don't really find uh that that satisfaction of 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 seeing somebody but the point of of seeing an avengers movie really is that for me i i know that at no point anyone is in real danger <laughs> right you know because you can always create an alternate timeline where somebody is resurrected somebody comes back or you know like you go you know it's like there is no real like as long as somebody wants the franchise to keep going right uh, it's going and and when i at some point i was just like i cannot see another spiderman movie simply because i cannot see another version of uncle ben dying i'm like i'm done <laughs> i've seen enough enough uncle ben deaths for me <laughs> to last a lifetime please no more uncle ben please you know that kind of uh, <laughs> Right. Or Batman's parents getting mugged in a, a whatever by those guys. I'm like enough, please. That's like we've seen enough versions of these, and that's all. You know that we don't need many more of those. Uh, Bharatwaj, one thing about Nikon uh, that most people won't know: some interesting um, bit or anecdote that um, I'm sure you know many uh, many of these. The bottle that you mentioned was made of sugar glass. Well, that's in your book. That doesn't count. That's in your book. <laughs> I read your book. So, something that most people wouldn't know. Oh, <laughs> Actually, uh, uh, even most of those realist scenes were kind of improvised by Kamal himself, right? I, yeah, I remember uh, reading yes. that your book that those were his suggestions. Yeah, uh, something that people wouldn't know. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think most of it is in the book or in public knowledge. So I'm not really sure that that uh, that. I mean, I, I'm not able to think of anything right now. Okay. but i think uh, i think you know uh to have uh the 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 heroine is a newcomer uh you know to to cast her as 
like a married woman uh, you know like a sex worker and a married woman you know there's like these are all things that that one didn't do at that time regularly you know to kind of have the heroine as uh, because uh, at that point in tamil cinema uh, virginity was a big deal and uh, you know you, it was associated with marriage and uh, uh, to kind of you know be a sex worker was not something that the heroine did uh you know uh but there was a film by k balachandar who was like another very great director of like course, earlier, yes. the, the heroine was a sex worker but you would call that more like a slightly off the mainstream radar film you know you would not call that a mainstream film exactly but for me ma- for a big mainstream film starring somebody like kamlasan and and you know doing that i think all these things made such a big impact so it's like not just uh you know the main guys but every single aspect coming together uh so yeah i think i think uh, yeah i'm not able to think of an unusual anecdote right now but uh, uh yeah but but i would i would urge people who haven't watched this film to give it a shot uh, uh you know i always i don't play place much uh, weight on on you know this film has got up to sight and sounds list or uh the now because the one of the reasons that people keep celebrating nayakan is because it's on time magazine's uh 100 best films list or something like that you know that's not why you should watch films that's that's somebody's personal list but i would say that absolutely this, this is a film that uh that that really really i think uh created a uh it was a landmark film uh it it really created a craze for cinematography to the extent that uh there were several cinematographers that came after pc siram and did not know what to do and all they knew was uh, they wanted top lighting they wanted spot lighting they wanted shafts of light so we would get these bizarre films where you could make out that there is an actual kleeg light behind the bush and mm. you know it was it was shining at us and it would look so bizarre because like this guy is like the director has clearly told him that you know i want that pc siram kind of lighting and and this would be some random day for night shot so nothing would match uh, it would be ridiculous <laughs> to look at and that is what you know like that the impact of that film i'm saying you know it's like it just shattered what people would look for in terms of technical achievement uh and i know that even to this day uh there are people who say that you know technique is not important all that's important is a good story uh but i've always believed that that you know if, if you just want a good story you might as well write a novel out of it you know you don't need to uh, cinema has is a language and if you're not using that language to the fullest then uh then i don't know why you need to do that and i think nayagan is one of those few films in tamil that use that language to the fullest I was going to ask you this at the time of the release uh what was some of the criticism of the film uh there was no criticism at all people were just like literally gobsmacked so i think okay. they just so everybody was essentially blown away yeah they were nobody knew what to, what to make of this because like i said this was the kind of stuff that came out of hollywood no nobody knew that it I mean, people in tamil nadu the national awards committee that that year i think it was headed by uh, sham benegal uh they would they were just releasing statement after statement saying they were stunned by what happened here and uh, you know pc shiram won his award uh, they they were just like uh, they were stunned by the quality of of films that were being made here and uh, that was uh, you know that was what was happening there and uh, uh, maniratnam did not get the best director right that year uh, the national award that went to somebody I else right he's ever gotten he's got not for best film but as I mean as a producer but i don't think he's ever gotten a best director award wait i i thought he got that for uh, monaragam no no am i mistaken okay hey this was great bharatwaj thanks a lot uh um, thank you so much uh, it's, it was great talking to you about one of my favorite films and one that i never uh you know uh one of i think one of the uh, i think all films age with age with time and uh, you know some of the things that you see after a point when you see it again 10 years ahead in your life sometimes you know it's not quite the same film yes and this is one of those films that 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 even if i were to pick at things there would be really really negligible flaws rather than the whole almost 90 to 95% of the film uh, you know stands very well and i think that's remarkable for a 
uh, for an Indian film made at that time. Yeah. Yes, yes, for a film that's more than 30 years old, absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Bharatwaj. Really appreciate it. Thank and thanks so a lot yeah. for, I hope I did not impose this particular time on you. No, no, so. no I, I had a lovely time chatting with you. And maybe sometime again, like we can do something like this all over again. I would love to. Uh, let me know whenever you're free. And uh, we. I would love to do uh, something like this about um, Iruva with you. Let's do that. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks again. Take care. Bye. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Nikon is truly a film that holds up well and continues to influence filmmakers of all stripes. If you have never seen it, I hope we were able to convince you to give it a shot. For the rest who have seen it before, I hope we succeeded in nudging you to revisit this nothing short of a modern classic. If you like this episode, do spread the word. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your pods. Also, do drop us a review when you get a chance. You can follow me on Twitter at loveofcinemasf8 for podcast-related updates and my tweets on all things movies. That's the episode. This is Himanshu signing off. And like always, thank you for listening to the Love of Cinema podcast.